Welcome to Centerpoint Church, where we are all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. We're so excited that you decided to join us today, and we believe that no matter where you're listening from, this message will enhance your connection with Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good to see everyone today. Welcome to Centerpoint. Hey, if you are new with us, hey, thank you, Pastor Will and me. <laughs> If you're new here today, I want to especially welcome you. And maybe a friend brought you, or uh, maybe you just uh, came for the first time today and you're wondering, you know, what's going on here? Well, we're starting a new series today called Relationships. And I believe it's going to be deeply impactful and helpful for all of us. And it's some, something that, uh, that I believe that if we would give our hearts to it for five weeks, God will work through it to allow us to grow, maybe like never before. So uh, if you are new with us in particular, I want to make a, a, a challenge out there, and that is simply this. Stick with me for five weeks. I mean, you could do anything for a month and a half, right? And so stick with me for five weeks. Take this as a time to invest in your own spiritual growth and see what might happen if you just stick with me for five weeks uh, at Centerpoint, and uh, if you happen to miss a week because you're out of town, jump online, and, and let's stay on this together. And the second thing is, if you really want to get the most out of this series, I want you to join a group. And maybe you're a person, you think to yourself, I don't do that. I'm not a group's person. I, I don't like all of those people. And you know, Well, uh, it's a series called Relationships. So you might want to change that up a little bit. But uh, even if you say, okay, I'll do it, but just for five or six weeks. That's exactly what we're doing over these next five or six weeks. When uh, my wife just mentioned the 30 groups that are starting, it's specifically for this five or six weeks. And so if you get to the end of the five or six weeks, if you want to, you can say, that was great and I'm done. But I want you to give this a chance. I want you to give uh, a, a, a space for your heart to grow in new relationships, new community with others that are in the community of faith together with you, following God's word together. So if you are, are thinking to yourself right now, I might want to do that. I might want to maybe get into a group. Here's what you do. You just simply go to mycenterpoint.tv. You can take your phone out even right now and go to mycenterpoint.tv and click at the top uh, where you can connect in a group. And it'll be a few clicks, but you'll find it. And that is the easiest way to get in. Third thing is, if you're new with us, let us know you were here. Stop by the blue tables after the service today, and uh, we would love to just help you get connected and, and uh, answer any questions you have. We've got a little gift we'd like to give you. So those three things are something I wanted to share before I jumped into the message. Can I shift gears? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is not actually part of the message, but I think it's something that is part of God's message for us today. And uh, as I was praying this morning over this service, I felt the Lord drawing me in his word uh, to Psalm 28, verses uh, 6 and, and 7. And it just simply says this. And hear this, right? This wasn't part of the message, so they, I don't know if they uh, have it. They probably don't have it for the screen. But uh, it's Psalm 28, verses uh, 6 and 7. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Pra I'm going to say that again. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. I want you to repeat this phrase by phrase. Ready? Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. You know what? I just felt a stirring in my spirit this morning that for somebody coming here today, you need to hear this, that the Lord God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, creator of all of the entire universe known and unknown, he, he has heard your cry for mercy. 
I really sensed that as I was praying this morning, that for somebody, you need to know this, that God is hearing your cry for mercy in your life. He's hearing your cry for mercy. And so it says again in verse 6, praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Say it with me. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy, and he's hearing it right now. As you're crying out in the secret place, as at the end of the day, you feel like you're melting and you're beginning to cry out, God is hearing your cry for mercy. Get it into your heart. Let it be known today. He's hearing your cry for mercy. I got to keep reading. It says in verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield, and I trust him with all my heart, and he helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I want you to just say that phrase with me one time. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. Say it. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. Uh, Usually we throw these things on the screen, but this was just this morning, a stirring, and I just couldn't let it go. I got to share it with you. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. My heart is filled with joy, not because I've figured everything out. My heart is filled with joy, not because I know exactly what I'm doing. My heart is filled with joy, and it's not because I'm making everything happen. My heart is filled with joy because he helps me. He helps me. My God helps me. He doesn't leave me to my own devices. He doesn't just set me aside and hope I could figure it out. Do you know what I'm saying? Somebody shout amen. Amen. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry. I'm going to say it till somebody starts praising him. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. I'll say it over here because I don't know if you're ready to praise him yet. Praise the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Praise the Lord. Is that all you got? Has your God been good to you? Praise the Lord. He's heard your cry for mercy. Do you know what? When Jonathan was up here leading worship, he was talking about, come on, let's shout our praise to God. And, and, I, and I, heard, I heard a little bit of hallelujah. But I thought maybe, maybe we could get a chance to just uh, try that again, like a holy do-over for a second. Because my God has heard my cry for mercy. And so I want to step back to a place where I say, God, thank you. And I want to praise the Lord for he has heard my cry for mercy. Give him 10 seconds of praise. Come on, 10 seconds praise. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, some brothers, say it with me. Hallelujah. Some men of God, say it with me. Hallelujah. I asked for some men of God to say it. Hallelujah. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Glory. Woo. All right. Now I think maybe I could preach. <laughs> Yeah, that, that sometimes we just need to catch these kinds of moments, right? And, and not fast forward through them because of what we had already pre-planned and whatnot. I felt the Lord on that word. Somebody, that's your word from God today for you. Okay, so relationships. This is week one. And uh, I wanted to just let you know right out of the gate that today my message is about the power and the value of friendships, godly friendships. So in the last couple of years, we've had a lot of difficult moments, difficult times, Obviously, I remember uh, how, how many hard moments there have been over the last couple of years. But you know what I was thinking about this week is I've also had some of the happiest moments in my recent memory in the last couple of years. Despite all of the craziness going on since 2020, and in fact, 
it was right at the beginning of all of the madness in 2020 that I had some powerful, personal, joyful moments. And it looked like this. All of a sudden, the, the, the world was shutting down, and nothing good was happening, and everybody seemed to be on halt, and some people on full-on pause or whatever. And uh, it, it was, it was kind of crazy-making, right? But I, I got together with a group of guys, with, with Eric, and then Eric, and Aaron, and me. We started going on a hike every day because there was just nothing else to do for at least a few weeks at the beginning. And I remember one day, we were going to just hike for like 30, 45 minutes, but it turned into, hey, we're over here. What if we just hiked all the way to the top together? And it was raining and cloudy and drizzly. You remember that, Eric? And we, and we just said, well, what else do we have to do? Nobody, everybody's meetings are canceled. Let's just go for it. And, and all of a sudden, four or five of us as brothers, friends, were just tromps, tromping across the, the tall grasses up there in the field. And, and all of a sudden, we busted out into like chanting and singing and shouting and roaring as we were going because I think maybe uh, all of us were sort of kind of losing our minds about everything that was happening. And so this was uh, something better than losing our minds. We were just kind of, but it was a bunch of grown men just out there for several hours, just, you know, swatting through the weeds and the grasses and hiking in the rain together and just shouting and singing and looking at each other, praying when we got to the top. And, and I remember that moment as one of the most joyful moments for me in the last few years. And the reason why it brought so much joy is because this group of guys, we were, we were forging a deeper friendship in that moment. We were connecting at a heart level that we knew was gonna be life-giving. We probably wouldn't have said it out loud at the time. We might not have been able to articulate it, but it became such a life-giving source, that connection that got us through some of the craziness that followed after those few days, or those, those few weeks, those few months, those now few years, right? And I'm so grateful for the reality of a good, godly friendship. And I want to just start with this, Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a time of adversity. Why don't you say that verse with me? Ready, go. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend loves at, at all times. I think some of us need, need a few more at all times people in our lives. We need a few more at all times people in our life. It, because the challenges come at all times. The needs spring up at all times. The problems come at all times. The emergencies creep up at all times. The difficulties come at all times. The milestones come at all times. The transitions come at all times. The big decisions we got to make come at all times. The, the mountains we suddenly need to climb come at all times. The blessings come at all times. The new opportunities come at all times. And we need those at all times people in our lives. And, and I think that we need to dwell on this for a moment. A friend loves, Proverbs 17, 17 again, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a time of adversity. I want you to get in your soul today why friendships are so valuable. And let me just start from a, a unique angle. And the unique angle would be, well, this, your physical health. Your physical health. I read uh, that a guy named Sheldon Cohen, soci sociobiologist in the 90s, did this study of the effect of friendship on people's physical health. 
And so he took uh, 200 people and he measured the actual quality of their friendships and social connections and, and, and he knew exactly where that stood. And then he introduced the rhinovirus into this group of 200 people. That's, that's the cold, right? The common cold. And then measured what happened. And what he found was that the people who had strong friendships and a broad network of, of social connections that were positive beat their cold 30% faster scientifically proven in this study. So <laughs> if you needed uh, a reason why friendships were valuable, well, it's good for your health. And I also uh, read there was a study done in Sweden in the university there that found that uh, people who did not have solid close friendships were at a 50% or greater risk of cardiovascular disease found by a study. A neurobiologist named Emily Rogalski did a study on superagers. You ever heard that concept of superagers? Superagers are people who are 80 plus, but their physical life is like that of a 40-year-old. Who wants to be a superager? That would be great, right? Yes. And, and so this neurobiologist said, well, what makes the difference? Why are these people, what constitutes this superagerness about them? And in her study uh, that she did, she found uh, that it was due to specifically the quality and quantity of close friendships that they had because that close friendship created a sense of support and safety and instigated good mental coherence uh, in a way that uh, loneliness just can't. And in fact, another study, Boston University 2021, found that a lack of friendships is a predictor for Alzheimer's. It, a, a, a causal predictor of, of Alzheimer's. That's a pretty bad, big deal. Oh, anyway, I could go on and on. There's all these studies about this, but you probably didn't need a study to tell you that not having friends just kind of stinks. Yeah. And the reality is that friendships are waning in the world that we live in. I mean, with the, with the onset of social media where all of a sudden it's, click, oh, we're friends. Never met this person in my life. <laughs> It's changed the dynamic. It's given us a pseudo-fulfillment that doesn't actually do what God designed for us to experience. And so we, we need to take this seriously. We need to take it to heart. And we're going to spend some time today in the Bible in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18. I want you to jump over to 1 Samuel chapter 18 right now. And, and I want you to get ready to dive into the scripture there with me. But with, with this in mind, when you read through the Bible, you find example after example of healthy close, amazing friendships. I mean, you've got Paul and Barnabas, Ruth and Naomi, Moses and Aaron, Mary and Elizabeth, Elisha and Gehazi, Jesus and John, Jesus and Peter, and the list goes on and on. And the reason why the Bible is filled with examples of real and deep friendships is because healthy friendship is at the heart of healthy humanity. And so I want you to have that in mind, that the scriptures are full of, of a revelation from God's heart of just how important it is that we find ways to live in real, life-giving friendships. And, and so we're jumping uh, there to, to 1 Samuel 18, and here's the backdrop in case you haven't been reading 1 Samuel recently. This is the part of the Bible where uh, what happened is David has... King David has just killed Goliath, and, and David is this amazing uh, warrior working for the king of Israel, who is Saul. And uh, David is checking in for 
a, a report for duty with the King Saul. That's kind of the moment that's happening here. And, and Saul, the king, has a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan's the crown prince next in line to become king of Israel. Uh, David's checking in for, for duty. And then this, uh, this, this friendship begins to occur. And this friendship between Jonathan and David leads to David's destiny of becoming king being fulfilled. And that friendship was the turning point for it in lots of ways that we won't even be able to get into today. But I want to just jump with you right now to 1 Samuel 18, and let's take God's word into heart. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, it says, After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. And Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. This, this moment is an important moment, and I want you to kind of catch what has just happened here. It's a meeting, and it records kind of the first meeting, and maybe there's, maybe there's hours that are part of this meeting, or maybe even days, but it's the first meeting. And let's just establish something for a second. I mean, you and I are going to have lots of times where we're going to meet different kinds of people, and we may meet, uh, meet people and they may become to us uh, teammates, or they may become our colleagues, or they might become our coworkers, or they might become our associates, or, or they might become our, our schoolmates or our classmates, but some are going to actually become friends. And even in becoming friends, some are, are going to become uh, you know, moderate friends, and some are going to become close friends, and some are going to become truly best friends. And I want us to just take a little bit of insight from what happens between Jonathan and David to consider how that process unfolds and, and maybe our part in it. And so back to verse 1 for a second. We just jump in together back to verse 1, 1 Samuel 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. And there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. Okay, that's it. It happened right there. Another translation puts it this way. It says that the soul of Jonathan and David were knit together. That's the way it puts it in the ESV. And, and really what's going on in this moment is that they, they're meeting one another, and the friendship gets formed in this moment, but it, nobody's forcing anything. It's unfolding. And there's something, about, there's something about the way Jonathan represents himself, the kinds of phrases he uses, the, the way he carries himself, his disposition that, that, man, just really has a place in David's heart. And then there's something about David, that, uh, the way he talks and, and some of the stories he tells and uh, and, and maybe uh, his, his disposition, and, and maybe the, the way he looks at a guy, like whatever it was, but it, that, had, that had a place in Jonathan's heart. 
And so their friendship began to be formed in this moment for reasons of, of their personal affinities and for reasons of their own inner wiring that for some reason just happened to click with one another and nobody forced anything. But their friendship was forged in this moment. It wasn't forced, but it was forged. And then after it was forged, it began to also be fertilized. And this, this is a, a revelation to me of what I can take away from the scriptures regarding friendships. This is a friendship that you and I can take to heart. And it's simply this, to form a great friendship. Don't force it. Don't fake it. But forge it and fertilize it. To form a great friendship, don't force it and don't fake it, but forge it and fertilize it. Somebody say forge it. Forge it. And say fertilize it. Fertilize. So we're going to look for ways in our lives where we can make this relationship, where to form a friendship, we're not going to force it and we're not going to fake it, but we are going to forge it and we are going to fertilize it. So verse three again, it said, in, jump back to 1 Samuel verse, uh, 18, verse three. It says, and Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. This is the moment where they're forging their friendship. And I don't know, at first blush, you could read this and go, man, how did that moment actually happen? I mean, couldn't it be kind of weird if one guy just looks at another and says, ahem, <clears throat> ahem. I'm going to require that you shall be my friend from this moment on. Like, what, what actually happened at this moment? All I know is that what did happen that moment led to moment after moment, subsequent to this, where Jonathan and David were there for each other in ways that changed both of their destinies. So whatever happened at this moment, it wasn't creepy and strange. It was life-giving and strong. And... They forged their friendship, and maybe you can relate to it this way. Sometimes there does need to actually be a moment between two people where, where each one kind of looks at the other and says, you know, I know a lot of people, but I sense a real connection, and I believe that in our real connection, we are going to commit to one another as friends. Is there a place for this kind of thing in our lives? Maybe some of us are waning in our connection with our friends because there's never been a moment where it was forged, where it was really expressed. I mean, that's the essence of whatever happened in this moment. There was an expression from one to another that we're not going to just be colleagues. We're not just associates. We're not just co-warriors. We're not just, uh, you know, beer buddies or football friends or whatever else it might be. We are real friends. There's a moment here of commitment. There's a moment here of forging a friendship. And I might suggest a takeaway that maybe there need to be some moments like that, like the one between Jonathan and David, between us and the people that we desire to really, really grow in friendship with. And so there's a moment of forging the friendship, and it says they made a solemn pact. And a pact is, is characterized by mutuality. You can't do a pact if both people aren't in. This is important. Some, probably a number of us have had that awkward experience where one person is like, you are my best friend, and, and, and you've just met them or you hardly know anything about them. 
And that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. There's mutuality. The way that Jonathan and David made a pact with one another reflects that there was a mutual respect, a mutual admiration, a mutual affection that they desired to invest in one another as people who would uh, be there as real friends. And this pact, you know, whatever else this pact means, it, it, it means that they're going to be there for each other. I mean, that's at the heart of whatever this pact was. They're going to be there for each other. I'm going to be there for you when there's burdens. I'm going to be there with you when there's blessings. I'm going to go ahead and hug you when you're hurting. And I'll go with you when you got some Goliaths to get after. I mean, that's the moment that we're looking at. It is a moment of, of mutual, mutual commitment. When you're forging a friendship, there needs to be a moment like that where, where there's an expression of mutual commitment. I believe it could make some of our friendships even stronger to even say something like that to one another. I remember a time when uh, I was in my grad school in Pasadena, and the first week of school, I met a few guys, uh, Steve and Bill, and uh, it was nice that we met one another. They seemed like good guys to, to know around the campus or whatever, but that guy, Bill, said, hey, since we live in the same area, uh, why don't we get together as a, as a group together? And uh, me and Steve both looked at each other and looked at him and said, yeah, okay, sure, we'll get together. And then this guy, Bill, said, no, 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 for real. I think that God wants us to truly be friends with each other. And so why don't we get together every single night? And, and me and, and Steve kind of looked at each other and looked at him and like, wait, what are you talking about? And he said, no, really. I mean, we can do the shallow buddy thing if you guys want. We can just play on the rec soccer team uh, once every weekend. But I think God wants us to go deeper and really be there as friends. We're all in, in seminary together and grad school together. Well, let's just do this. And, and then uh, we thought it was kind of crazy, but then we did. We, we made a mutual commitment to be friends with one another and to do so by meeting every single night. And then we did that for a year. Oh, unless somebody was sick or out of town, we met every single night. And, and we went deep with each other. And we did go keep on playing rec league soccer together. And we did also go on some hikes together. But, but there was this moment where it was odd and one person kind of initiated it and it felt a little like, really, is this for real? But we made a commitment to each other and a friendship was forged. And all I know is that years after that, I, I'm a best man at his wedding, he's a best man at my wedding, and he's a best man at his wedding. And then uh, uh, years after that, we're doing a vacation together as a group of friends, and then uh, fast forward to uh, this past Friday, I'm driving over to LA to meet this one brother for lunch, because we haven't seen each other in a bit, but the friendship for a couple of decades now, but it, it traces back to a, a moment where that friendship was forged, where somebody had the guts to say, hey, come on, we, we all know we need something deeper than the surface, so let's make a commitment to each other. And there was a mutuality in that that allowed that friendship to be forged. So the takeaway, the relationship is to form a friendship. Don't force it. Don't fake it. But forge it. And fertilize it. And fertilize it. Okay, so uh, in, in, in verse 4, check it out. It said in verse 4, Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. That, 
that is act, what we just read, it's a big deal. You got to see it for what it is. It's a big deal what's happening in this moment. And I can't claim to understand all of it, but there are a few things that jump out at me. First of all, it, it says that in this pact that Jonathan gave David his robe. Do you know what that robe symbolized? That robe symbolized his royalty. That robe symbolized, I'm sorry, I got a, an interruption here from my watch. <laughs> that robe symbolized his royalty and his authority. It, it symbolized his position over David. I mean, he's the crown prince. And so to take off his robe is, 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 is Jonathan saying, look, between you and me, it's not going to be about my, my position being over you, even though technically that would be the truth. And I'm taking off that robe. I'm not going to let it be about I have a royal lineage and who are you. I'm taking that external thing that everybody else sees. It's not about that between you and me. And then it says he took off his tunic and he gave him his tunic. Does anybody here know what a tunic is? I had to look it up and I've looked it up many times before. But I had to look it up again. The tunic would be like the fancy shirt. Like, for example, we might think of it as like a button-down shirt, you know? And he took it off. He, he, he was taking off the button-down shirt, the fancy shirt. It's, a, it's as if to say, look, between you and me, I don't even need to wear my fancy shirt because I'm not trying to impress you. You know what I'm talking about? You probably have some friends in your life, hopefully you do, that you could just wear your undershirt in front of them and it doesn't matter. Like you don't have to put something else on to come to the door when they come over, right? Some of you are like, I wouldn't do that anyway. But, <laughs> but this is the reality of what's happening here. This is Jonathan saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to completely be exposed before you. I'm not letting it be about my position and about my royalty. I'm not letting it be about how much money I have more than you. I'm, I'm not letting it be about my fancy covering. I'm, I'm letting it, I'm letting it kind of hang out with you. And then he said, it says he gave him his belt and his sword and his bow. It, it, this is symbolic of Jonathan saying, David, between you and me, I'm not going to operate in defensiveness I'm going to actually let my guard down with you like no one else. I'm, I'm going to let you see me when I'm at my worst. I'm going to be vulnerable with you. Do you see that? I'll take off my belt and my, my, give you my weapons even. I will be willing to be vulnerable with you. This is part of where the magic of friendship actually happens. What we just read. Letting go of how it's going to be about my position and how much money I have and my royalty or whatever. Letting go of how I'm going to make it about how, how can I impress you and how can I uh, make sure to keep my fancy uh, facade on in front of you. And, and instead, coming to a place where I, I even just take the belt, the weapons, they, they come down. My, my defenses come down and I'm willing to, to share with you about the actual hard things and struggles and challenges and pains and needs like, this is friendship. This is what you and I actually need more of in our lives. Proverbs 18, 24 says this, the one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. But unreliable friends, friends where you haven't really forged anything and it's just surface level, that actually leads to ruin. But it's when you allow there to be a place of, of deeper connection, you make that shift, that the friendship becomes a source of strength to you, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Okay, so how can we grow 
our friendships in a practical sense. Uh, th- there's a woman named Shasta Nelson who uh, d- talks about this concept and co- uh, with something that she called the frentimacy triangle. And I just want to share this with you, but in my own way. But I think it's a helpful way to understand friendship. So uh, friendship starts out, first of all, if you think about this as a, as a triangle, uh, if you think about this this way, friendship starts with something at the base of that triangle called positivity. Positivity. Uh, positivity is what is going to allow uh, you to have interactions with other people that cause them to feel like it was life-giving. I mean, most of us don't wake up going, you know what, I just really hope I can get some good Eeyore interactions in my life today. I hope hope some people come along being snarky and cynical and arrogant and proud. That would just be awesome. (laughs) Not really. Most of us crave relationships where there will be positivity, where there'll be a sense of, of gratitude and joy and something affirming or validating and something that makes us laugh, something that uh, causes us to have a, a sense of inflation, of being lifted up. And if I want to grow in my friendships, I might need to just think about myself in terms of how am I with that? Do I show up as grumpy and arrogant? Because if that's the case, it's probably not going to do much good for me in terms of growing friendships. It, it begins with positivity. One of the ways that we can step into positivity, or a few ways uh, we can step into positivity, is uh, curiosity. Just uh, the simple act of, of engaging with your friends with curiosity, asking them questions. What's happening in your life? And how are things going for you? Curiosity is something that, le- it's not about being Pollyanna all the time. It's about allowing someone to feel that their interaction with you is uplifting. So curiosity helps do that. Instead of me just wailing on and on about how everything's going for me. To step in with curiosity. How are you? What's happening with that situation in your life? And, and what about the things that you were dreaming of? Like, I wanted to ask you about how that's going. Like, checking in with curiosity. Uh, may, maybe even the curiosity could come in the simple form of a, of a message on a text. Like, hey, what's up? How are things going in your life? I haven't talked to you in a while. You know? Like, do, do you see how that could, even that tiny little thing could be a step of positivity that would add some fuel to the friendship? Affirmation. Affirming someone for the great work they're doing or the, the way that they're uh, helping the community or the, uh, or the way that they're adding value or something awesome you saw them do as a mom or as a dad. A little bit of affirmation for somebody is a, is a part of the positivity that helps grow the friendship. And then gratitude. Gratitude for who they are and maybe something they have done in your life. A little bit of gratitude. These are things that lead to positivity. So the base of that friendtimacy, friendship intimacy triangle starts with positivity. Everybody say positivity. And then the next step up from that is consistency. Consistency. And so consistency is about our frequency of being in proximity to each other. Uh, I read a study that said it takes 40 to 60 interactions to move from being uh, acquaintances to being in the friend category. But then it takes 60 to 120 interactions to go from being uh, casual friends to actually good friends. And then it would increase from there. But what this requires is consistency. Consistency is uh, what happened when you were on the playground with a bunch of kids when you were in elementary school. 
Every day, you would go out on that playground, and you kind of began to develop a mental map. Those group of kids go and play on the jungle gym, and those group of kids are playing at the, at the basketball hoop or the whatever the thing with the funnel and the four spouts on it, whatever those weird playground games you had them to. And those are the kids that always you know, hang around, and, and they're kind of snarky, and they make your mom jokes and you know, avoid those ones. Anyway, or that's just me. I only had those people. So... So you have this kind of mental map, and it's, it's a consistency of interaction. And, and probably as a kid, you started to talk about, oh, yeah, there were all, uh, all my friends on the playground. And who knows what the level of the friendship was. But you were able to think of them as friends because there was enough consistency that you could sort of predict who would be where and the kind of uh, you know, things that they would do. And your ability to have a consistency with them gave you the capacity to feel safe. You, you could feel kind of safe in that environment because you got a, got a general sense of who everybody is and kind of what their deal is and what they're like and maybe even some to avoid. But that consistency helped foster the friendships that probably grew in, in your childhood. And it's the same as in your adulthood as well. There are environments where you get to experience consistency with people. And uh, you, you have current spheres of, of, of consistency. Uh, you might be part of a, a, a group with our church. That's a sphere where the more you keep showing up, the more there is likelihood that the interactions are going to have a consistency that leads to an intimacy. And I would just simply say this. Look for those spheres and keep showing up within them. If you retract and pull yourself and remove yourself from those spheres of consistency, you're, you're not going to experience the bonding that allows real friendship to be forged or to be fertilized. And we saw that Jonathan and, and David had a, a friendship that was fertilized through love. It said that they, Jonathan loved David as himself. It was, it was fertilized, the consistency. The third uh, piece, though, of this frentimacy triangle is vulnerability. Everybody say vulnerability. 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 This is the part of friendship where I do let my guard down. I take my cue from Jonathan, who took off that robe, that tunic, the belt, and the weapons, and said, look, I'm going to be real with you. I might not do this with everybody. Probably most people I wouldn't, but with you... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be vulnerable. I'll share with you my, my broken places that still need healing. I'll share with you my, my struggles. I'll share with you that I have needs. I mean, we want to present to the world around us a, a facade of, I have everything together. I don't need anything. I'm perfectly uh, content and strong in myself. But with a real friend, you can be vulnerable, and you need to. You need to. It actually causes there to be a, a bond that is irreplaceable and doesn't happen any other way. I remember, this is years ago now, but something happened in my life that uh, was very difficult, very challenging, and it had to do with you know, somebody leaving that, that I wasn't expecting, and, and I didn't know what else to do, but I called a, a, a friend, and, and we said, we're going to go out for lunch, and uh, he picked me up, and we're driving together, and I shared about what happened, and then all of a sudden, as I'm sharing about what happened, I'm ugly crying. I mean, snot coming out my nose, and, 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 he, he, you know, and he just listened to me. Just let me just be vulnerable about how much pain I was feeling in that moment. And I think that's, that moment that, that was vulnerability at the core 
is part of why that friendship still is intact to this day, because that, that creates a kind of a bond that's irreplaceable, that takes one beyond the surface into a place of of depth, and so uh, what we need to do is to actually work on all three of these things, to continue to work through this process and to continue to uh, elevate and add to and accentuate all three of these things, the positivity, the consistency, the vulnerability, it leads to intimacy and friendship. So I'm asking you to consider right now, who are the people in your life that you've thought to yourself, it would really be great if we were actually better friends? Who are those people? And maybe even make a list in your phone. Make a note in your phone called friends. And maybe there are a few people that you've just felt like it would really be great if we were actually better friends. And put that list together and then begin to think about what you could do in these three categories to see a friendship get forged and fertilized. And if David is called a man after God's own heart, I want to look for the things that helped David to be David. And I see that this friendship factor is one of those things. And so I want to dive into it. I want to dig into it. And I want to thank God for how he's going to help me to do it. And so I want to tell you, as I'm just kind of wrapping up, about, about a friend of mine. So I, I had a, a season in my life, you know, being a 13-year-old, 14-year-old kid, where I just got into a whole bunch of, of mess and struggle and trial and trouble. And... I was hurting a lot inside. And then this guy became my friend. He came into my life and, and he stood with me right in the middle of all of my feeling of you know, brokenness and loneliness and shame and became my friend right in the moment when I was in great need. And when I was feeling ashamed, this friend took the shame off of me and showed me a way to freedom. And this friend I'm talking about is Jesus. I'm so, I'm so grateful that Jesus came into my life as the perfect friend, as the perfect friend who was able to stand with me in my struggle and to bear my burden all the way to the cross of Calvary. He took the burden of my sin and my shame and my guilt and the distance between me and God was forever closed because of what Jesus did for me. And in a sense, what I, what I want to do right now is introduce you to my friend. And some of you, many of you, you know him. But I want you to know him this way. Your Jesus, if you're a believer, your Jesus, he allowed you to come to him at the beginning of your walk, and, and he allowed you to say, Jesus, would you forgive me? I'll, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And he said, I, I got it. I got it. You're forgiven, and you can serve me the rest of your life. But at a certain point, Jesus looks at you and me, and he has something else to say. And it's in John 15, 15. He says, I no longer call you servants, but because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Jesus desires that with you. So today, if you have never had a moment where you've called out to Jesus to ask him to forgive your sins, I want you to hear this. First of all, you should know he is willing to receive you just as you are. He's not waiting for you to clean up your act and look like you deserve it or anything like that. He has arms open wide for any person that would admit, I'm a sinner and I can't 
fix myself. I need to be forgiven. Jesus has open arms for any person who would take that posture. Jesus has open arms for any person who would say, and I want to turn from my sin. I actually don't want to stay stuck in it anymore. I want to turn to you, Jesus, and ask you to forgive me. He has open arms for any person who would turn to him and ask for that. And his answer to you will be, yes, I forgive you. I forgive your sin, and I'm saving you. Like, that's what Jesus does. And as you step into a relationship with Jesus who saves you, what he desires is not just that you would one time in a church service raise your hand and receive his gift of salvation, but to be one who becomes a friend of his. Somebody you do life with all the time, day in and day out. And, and, and that needs to start somewhere. And so for somebody, I'm praying that this would be the moment that that could begin. Jesus said, John 15, also in verse 13, he said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. Do you know what Jesus commanded? He commanded that, that we would turn to him with faith, with believing in him, believing in him. And so in this moment, I wanna suggest that for somebody, this is the moment your relationship with Jesus can begin. And it's not that you have all the answers, in fact, you might still have a whole lot of questions. That's okay. And it's not that, that at all that you feel like you finally deserve it and you've been a good little girl long enough that you've been a nice little boy long. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with you recognizing, I need to be forgiven. I, I need Jesus in my life. I need to ask him to forgive my sin so it's not weighing me down for the rest of my life and for all eternity. I want to ask Jesus to forgive me right where I am. That moment changes everything. So I want you to take a moment. I want you to pray with me right now. We're going to just close our eyes for a bit, be in God's presence. And when I say we pray, we're just talking to God together. And so if that's new for you, if you've just joined us for the first time, it's an important part of who we are as, as human beings to be aware that we have a creator that desires ultimately for us to be in a relationship with him. And so in this moment, we pray. We talk to God. You can close your eyes with me and or stare at the ceiling or whatever you'd like to do, but let's just take a moment and pray together. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, God, that, that you, uh, you show us in the Bible, even through a few verses between David and Jonathan, a way to approach friendships that will be life-giving. And so I pray for every one of us right now, God, all of us, that we'd make that relationship that is, to form a friendship, we don't force it and we don't fake it, but we forge it and fertilize it. I pray, God, that that would happen. And so while we're praying together, Lord, we're asking a question. Because when we pray, we're talking with God, and he might want to say something to you too. So Heavenly Father, who is there in our life that, that we're meant to be in a better friendship with? Who is it, God, that... I'm meant to be in a better friendship with, in my church community or in, in my region or wherever. God, who is it? Would you just speak to us right now? Is there any person? So probably uh, for a number of us, there's a person that came to mind, somebody's name, their face, maybe a few people. Don't forget this. This is 
one of the ways God is speaking to you in your life. And if he's calling you to do that, then just decide today, I'm going to. And Father, I pray that you'd even begin to speak to us about what would it look like to forge or reforge that friendship uh, and or to fertilize that friendship. Is there anything particular, God, that you want to speak to us right now that would be helpful for us to do? With those couple of people you just brought to mind, is there something that we can do to, to fertilize or forge that friendship at a deeper level? Speak to us even now, God. I'm asking you to do that. Thank you, God, that you speak to us and you show us your ways. I'm grateful. Now, Father, I also pray that uh, for any of us that don't know the joy, the privilege, the, the wonder of knowing Jesus as friend, Savior and friend. God, I pray that you would unlock that even right now. While we're praying together, if you're here today or you, you're joining in for this moment and, and you would say, I have no idea where I stand with God. I would like to be right with God. I'm not quite sure how to do that. I want to say to you that what, what you can do is receive the gift of his salvation in this moment. And if you've never received the gift of salvation in Jesus, the way that happens is in a moment in time like this one, you begin to admit, God, I have so many questions and so many things that I just don't know, but I know this, I, I know that I would like for my sin to be forgiven. Would you forgive my sin and save my life? Jesus, would you do that for me? And you know what his answer to you is, is yes, yes, I've got you. Thank you, Lord. So while we're praying together, if you're sitting here or joining in in this moment, and you would say, I want to do that. I want to ask Jesus to forgive my sins and save my life. I want to receive his gift of eternal life and salvation. Right now, with me, I want you to just raise your hand. If you're finally ready to say, I want to ask Jesus to forgive my sin and save my life. I want you to raise your hand with me. This is a beginning point for you. This is a way to say, to say once and for all, I want to ask Jesus to forgive me and save me. So you raise your hand with me in this moment as a way of finally saying, yes, Jesus. And you type online if you're joining into the comments and say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And then you pray with me, something like this. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I admit that I'm a sinner and I don't want to carry around the sin and shame any longer. Jesus, would you forgive my sin? I repent of the sin and I turn to you and ask you to save me. And would you save me and be my Lord and Savior for the rest of my life? I believe that you conquered death in your life. And so Jesus, I'm asking you to come in and take charge. I'm yours from this moment forward. Thank you for this gift of new life. I receive it right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And everybody together just simply say amen. Amen. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Would you stand up? And as you're standing up, I think you've received a little bit from the Lord today that calls you to an action. And I hope that you would, in this moment, decide, yep, I'm doing it. I'm stepping into that action of forging and fertilizing friendship. But in doing so, let's do so with God's strength in our life. Would you just praise him right now and sing out to him and honor him and give him a shout of praise.